what is important to us is building that community and, and having communities be able to build their own power. And we don't look at it just as if you're a registered voter, you're important to me and I want to talk to you. But can I talk to everybody in my community? Can I find out what is going on everywhere and organize around specific issues, giving those communities the ability to do that? Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. Today's guest is Emily Del Baccaro, who is a co-founder at Open Field. Open Field provides technology for deep canvassing by progressive political organizations. Emily comes from a background in political data, having helped NationBuilder create a national voter list. We had a good conversation about her move into political technology entrepreneurship, as well as getting an update on what's happening at Open Field. So, after a word from our sponsor, my interview with Emily Del Baccaro at Open Field. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from Timeplots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Timeplots Library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. Hi, Emily. Hi, Nathaniel. How are you? I'm good. Would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Yeah. Um, so my name is Emily Del Bacaro. She, her, I am one of the co-founders of Open Field, um, along with R.A. Trujillo. I'm living in Seattle, and I come from kind of the field uh, and data side of the campaign world, then worked on startups and have started Open Field with Ari about two years ago. And that is where I am now. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Seattle, um, so I've been in this area most of my life. Went to uh, then Washington State University in Pullman, and then moved down to Los Angeles about eight years ago. What did you study at Washington State? Business. Went over there thinking I was going to go into sciences and uh, quickly realized that was not my thing. Maybe uh, a valuable major in some ways for starting a business? It ended up being very valuable. Um, I did not know that this is the route I would go. Um, at the time. But looking back on it now, uh, it has obviously been very useful in the last few years for me. What sort of things that you learned as an undergrad and maybe didn't know you'd apply have you now reached back towards? I think that the the business of running a business is something that um, you hear about and you start learning about kind of the details while you're in class and, you know, the budgeting and accounting um, and making sure that you have good business plans written. And you don't really realize how much of that applies until you're actually in the business itself. There is so much more than just the product and customers, um, but actually kind of the day-to-day operations of running a business is a lot more work than I think people realize um, until they're kind of in the weeds of it. How did you get yourself into the world of politics and political data? 
Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Seattle um, in a family that wasn't necessarily very politically active, but very, I guess, politically aware. It was something that we talked about. Um, it was something that we were always um, mindful of. I think like a lot of people my age, I grew up watching the West Wing and being very interested in politics, but feeling like I was on the complete opposite side of the country. Didn't know at that time that it was really a career that I could pursue. Um, I just saw kind of as this, the White House and nothing else. And so it wasn't until really, obviously, kind of the Obama 2004 convention speech, um, and then getting into that 2008 campaign that I realized there was a place for younger people in the political world. And so going into college, it still wasn't something I thought I could pursue as a career. But I actually have a twin brother who uh, also works in politics. And I kind of saw from his side, this is something that you can pursue. And it wasn't really until the 2020 campaign that I got actually involved. Um, and I went out to Virginia to work on the campaign. It was there um, kind of seeing the operations of that and seeing the things that you could do within the campaign world that got me really excited about it. And from there, I connected with somebody who said, hey, there's some folks in California who need help on city council and mayoral races. Um, never pictured myself living in Los Angeles. But from that campaign, um, I then went and moved to LA in January of 2013 um, and started working on just kind of some local city council and mayoral race um, and really got into the data side of it there. And so managing kind of the targeting and outreach um, for that campaign down in uh, Council District 15. And from there, went and worked at Nation Builder, um, which is where I met Ari. I assume you're a Democrat. Yes. If you're working with Ari. Yes. Where would you say you originally picked that side or is that just absorbed from parents or how did that come about? Yeah, I think it was just absorbed from parents. Um, growing up in Seattle, that is very much the norm. You are an outlier if you are anything but a Democrat uh, in this city. It was just how I grew up. Um, there was, you know, not really, I want to say not much thought to it, but it was more of just, this is how you grew up. You share these values. When I interviewed Ari a couple of years ago for the same podcast, we talked a bit about her experience with Nation Builder and um, where I came from having been a competitor to them and noting that they had, you know, taken some swings at us and worked for both parties, which I didn't. And having, you know, even worked with Trump and, and folks like that, but also pretty successful as a business and interesting founder. And what was your Nation Builder experience like? So my Nation Builder experience, I think, was very unique, even in that company. So I came in and actually worked directly with Ari. Um, so I came in to kind of work with her and being tasked with, can you build us a voter file? Um, because they had been shut out of the ecosystem and obviously needed their own. And so we said, sure, we can do that, not knowing all that that entailed. Um, at the time, it was source data from states, hand it off to engineers, they will build this file for us. We quickly realized that that is not uh, how you can do it. So Ari and I built out a team um, to actually be kind of the, the brain and the thought process behind the actual build of the voter file. Um, that put me in a unique position because when I first started there, I actually had daily morning meetings with Jim. So there was about four or five of us at that time who were working on this project, engineers and Ari and myself. And we had a meeting every morning with him to kind of go over progress and ideas and how are we going to do this. 
So my relationship with him was very different than a lot of folks um, inside the company who did not have that access to him in that way. Him and I always got along very well. We obviously had to work very closely on this big project. I saw kind of a different side of him. I definitely saw, you know, the the, the frustrations that come with this project and, and the build of it. Um, but we always had a really good relationship. And I knew obviously that the progress that we were making on the file um, and the build was going well when our daily meetings turned into weekly meetings and our weekly meetings turned into monthly meetings. And so I worked on that project there for about two years and left, uh, I want to say like 2014. Um, so I was just there for about two years, maybe 2015. And being there at kind of that early stage of the company, um, working with a lot of, you know, old Obama campaign folks and people who really just earnestly wanted to do good work. I had a really great experience there. I met some of my best friends. I obviously met Ari um, and Paul, who works with us now, um, who also worked at Nation Builder. I have nothing but positive things to say about my own experience um, at the company. If I remember that conversation with her, you met or reconnected at his funeral. And that's where you started to talk about building an enterprise together. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So we had always stayed connected. Um, she went off and, you know, worked at Wellstone, worked for the Sanders campaign. Um, and I actually joined her uh, towards the end of the 2016 uh, Bernie Sanders campaign and kind of helped out on the national data team there. Um, so we always kind of reconnected and worked on different little projects together. And then it was the day after his funeral. She had left LA and came back down for the funeral and we, you know, reconnected there. And then the next morning went out to brunch. What we'd been talking about was we missed the the build. We had missed, you know, creating something. Um, the National Voter File Project was such a big, you know, experience for us that we had missed kind of being in the weeds of something. And she said, I kind of have this crazy idea. Um, I've been having problems with certain pieces of tech that are not doing the things that I want to do what do you think of this? And I think that at that time, she was kind of looking for somebody to say, that's not crazy, let's do it. So that's what I said. And then we spent the rest of the day driving around LA, um, kind of deciding, you know, are we crazy for wanting to do this? It's something that we think Jim would have gotten a kick out of um, us kind of starting our own company and doing that. So that was kind of the impetus for it. We made plans to reconnect after the holidays because this was um, kind of early mid-December. And that's when the idea was born. And I think we were not naive in that sense of just like, yeah, we can do this. But I think that that, that momentum just kind of took us, took us through that into January and, and we just went for it. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, one to meet you, but also to get a sense of update from Open Field, because when I talked to her, I think you were about to release your alpha. And so that's quite a long time ago. And I had heard through the grapevine that there'd been changes and pivots and and a lot of activity. And so catch me up on what are you guys up to now? What's what's happened along the way and what are you up to? Yeah, a lot, a lot has changed in the last two years uh, in the world. Um, so I think that you had spoken to her in the summer of 2019 and we were still in the midst of uh, HGL, Higher Ground Labs, and really kind of building out our product while we were there. Um, and so since then, we did launch our alpha. And while we were getting ready to kind of launch to a greater audience, obviously the pandemic uh, happened and people stayed inside and they were not doing voter outreach in the same way that they had done previously. So we spent really the next six, seven months uh, refining our product, building out additional features um, and really doing a proper launch kind of right before the election uh, 2020. 
with a few different customers, um, adding in phone banking, because obviously people were a little apprehensive about being on the doors, rightfully so. And then had a really successful partnership in the uh, Senate runoffs in Georgia and have really kind of kicked into gear uh, since then. What did you do on the Senate runoff in Georgia? Um, So we were partnered uh, or contracted with Working Families Party to be kind of their canvas. Um, We had originally spoken to them right after the election and would say, you know, with that in that week after the election as thought partners um, in terms of is canvassing safe right now? What have you guys heard from people who were out on the doors who were able to successfully run a safe canvas program and keep their volunteers and canvassers from getting sick? Um, And so we went into those conversations in that way. And because we uh, operate in a distributed manner, they were able to use us to run statewide canvas for those seven weeks running up to the election. I just interviewed someone who was talking about how the campaign used reach for similar activity. It's so interesting to me that like there are now multiple apps that different parts of the progressive ecosystem are employing to do similar things. All of the challenges of data sharing and are coming back or arriving from different angles. What is a good tech stack for a campaign that includes what you do? Yeah. Um, So that is always kind of the trick is combining different pieces of tech to actually be one cohesive unit. Um, You know, people are used to having to use three, four different types of technologies to get done what they need to get done. And the data share across has always been kind of the issue. You have data in three, four different places. So a lot of what we were trying to solve is the organization have complete ownership of their data. Um, you know, it is housed inside of open field, but it speaks to, you know, the different CRMs and the exports of the data to the actual campaigns themselves. How do you do canvassing? How do you do phone banking? And actually able to see kind of the holistic view of that person because you have all of the data in one place. And so right now, we keep all of the history of those conversations inside of open field so that if you are canvassing or phone banking that person, you can always see the combination. Um, you can always say, hey, when I come knock on your door, Nathaniel, I can tell if somebody in my team has has called you before or canvassed you before um, and really see what we've spoken to you about. Our focus has been how do we combine those two things and keep the data in one place so that it is used most effectively. So you're not trying to find these different pieces um, in different applications. So if someone wants to understand how your technology fits in, what parts of the campaign would you recommend use it and why? Yeah, so we are primarily a field tool. Um, So we focus um, on canvassing and we have also uh, added in phone banking. Our main focus is how do you have real authentic conversations with folks and not just identify you as a supporter and ask you if you're wanting to vote. Um, But because we allow folks to do um, open-ended notes capture and run natural language processing on that, we allow you to actually say, hey, what issues are important to you? Or what is going on in your community that you would like me to know about? Um, Instead of just the every two years calling you or knocking on your door saying, hey, on a scale of one to five, what is your support level? Um, And so taking the approach of not just a get out the vote tool, but as a, you know, community organizing tool that is 
really trying to get to the root of what is going on inside of your house or your community? And then how can I as a candidate or organization take that information and come back to you and say, I heard what is going on. This is what I'm going to do about it. Um, And so treating people as not just that transactional conversation, but as kind of the whole person. Would you call that deep canvassing? Yeah. So that is our focus. That is what we allow folks to do, um, as well as the traditional, right? Support score, yes, no, email capture, all of that. Um, But we are finding that the organizations that have been doing this work for years and continue to do this work haven't had the tech to support it. Um, They used to be taking notes on paper in Google Docs and not really having a place to store it. Um, And we wanted to be able to help them and keep all of that data in one place, as well as being able to turn to more of the election, get out the vote style efforts and not have to kind of switch back and forth. So far, what kind of clients have you had and what are they using it to do? Yeah. Uh, So when Ari and I first started, we really did think that it was going to be kind of smaller campaigns who maybe locked out of the ecosystem. Uh, But because we allow for uh, deep canvassing um, and just kind of the ease of use, we have found that our biggest kind of fit has actually been these long term uh, issue based organizations who do this deep canvassing work, who do a lot of community outreach right now. You know, a lot of them are doing vaccine outreach and trying to identify people who need to get the vaccine and need to get information. Ari, I know, mentioned, I believe previously that a lot of what her experience was and why she wanted to build this was uh, around the wildfires in Northern California and how trying to go out and talk to people um, and, and meet them where they were to see what services they could provide. There wasn't a way for them to capture that data. Um, And so we've seen that these issue-based organizations um, really find our tool incredibly helpful for the work they're already doing. They don't have to tailor their program to fit tech, but they can just, you know, use ours to actually just uh, run the programs that they're already running. Who are you specifically talking about? We have this longer term contract with the Working Families Party, um, who we did kind of the work with in Georgia, and we are continuing their election outreach and Uh, kind of party infrastructure uh, builds with them. We did a lot of work with the Muslim American Society who were kind of in this last year have done their first kind of real kind of election outreach. They made calls into all 50 states prior to the 2020 election and are continuing that work this summer. And then we've worked with, you know, some smaller uh, campaigns in Texas on school board races and in New Jersey with mayorals and are kind of ramping up efforts in Texas and Georgia and uh, Arizona currently. Did I hear someone say that you guys were doing a lot of work in registration? Yeah. In the uh, pandemic, uh, we uh, kind of did this pivot where once we added the phone banking in, we also added in a voter registration tool because a lot of these organizations who had previously done kind of the the street canvassing uh, voter registration style, like standing out and filling out registration cards at the grocery store on street corners, we're not able to do that anymore. Um, and so we built in the ability to register folks um, over the phone or uh, in person at the doors, depending on what the state allows. So in states where they allowed online voter registration, they could just do that easily themselves. But in places where they had to either have a card or fill out kind of like a paper application, we facilitate that process using the national voter registration card um, that somebody can actually fill out um, on the phone or at the door for somebody mail it off to them where they sign it, 
put in their ID, and then we send it off to the actual registrar's office um, so that you can track that process kind of soup to nuts. How are you doing as a company? What's the sort of stage of building it that you're at? Um, So we are in kind of still just refinement um, and kind of enhancing the products that we already uh, have. So continuing enhancements on our canvassing um, and turf cutter, refining kind of our phone banking systems and the registration as well. Um, We are in a place where we are onboarding, you know, quite a few customers and kind of really building up our roster so that we can kind of enter 2022 in a really good place and be able to kind of expand out and and handle kind of the onslaught of customers that always come with the election year. What's the staff look like? How big is it? Yeah, so we have uh, three full-time, Ari, myself, and Paul. And then we do have anywhere between three and five contract staff engineers that we work with as well. You mentioned Higher Ground Labs. Are you still, like, are they invested in you? Are you part of their current cohort? What's the, how is that relationship? Yeah, our relationship with Higher Ground Labs is phenomenal. So they were our first investor. Um, We went through their accelerator in the summer of 2019. Current cohort right now did not do one in 2020, but we did go through their program and it was hugely beneficial to us in many ways. They kind of supporting us in, in how to run the business and how to get, you know, the customers that we need and really put us out there in that way. Um, we could not be more thankful for their support. Um, we are part of their portfolio. Um, we do have ongoing relationships uh, with them and speak to them, you know, very frequently. Um, so their support has meant a lot to us. What do you think you've learned about entrepreneurship in the political tech space from doing this? A lot. Uh, so we went into HDL, I don't want to say blindly, but in terms of running a business, you know, very blindly. Uh, Ari and I have a lot of relationships in the space, um, which we are able to use, you know, to get in front of people and to show them our product, to get feedback on our product and really kind of our first customers. But in terms of everything else, running the business, uh, raising money, making sure that you know everything is set up to run that successful business we learned uh, through HGL and being kind of hands-on there is like I said previously just so much to running a business that that you don't realize um, just you know in terms of HR setup and payroll and kind of just all of the boring logistics of running a business that that you don't realize take up the majority of your time and so learning through the people that they bring in as advisors, and in the political tech space, it is really, it is a small world. Um, everybody kind of knows everybody. And so maintaining relationships, I think, is the most important thing that you have. Who do you see as your competition? There are kind of many, I guess, canvassing tools that are out there. Um, obviously, the, you know, the van, the minivans of the world um, and reach. But we are focusing kind of on a different segment of that in terms of the actual kind of the deep canvassing support that we allow, um, we are kind of fitting into a little bit of a different world. Um, We are more focused on the the qualitative conversation and the quality of that contact versus just the get out the vote efforts and the identifying supporters. And so when it comes to that side of it, I think we're really unique in the sense that we allow for these open-ended notes capture and actually run processing on them so that you don't have to read them yourself. And in that instance, I think that's where we separate ourselves from people who would think are like natural competitors. Um, And so it's really kind of using both 
to run a full program. Is that a big enough market? I always worried when I was running MVP in the early years that the campaign market and associated markets were not big enough to make a substantial company or that they would kind of top out. And now you're taking a kind of a subset of a subset, at least for now. Like, where do you go if you sort of really become the the, the tech that people want to use for doing the things that you most feel you're qualified to do? Yeah. I mean, we do do both. Uh, so we do have folks who just run kind of deep canvassing programs and who also run programs just around kind of your traditional canvassing. In past years, that may have been a bigger issue. But now, as we all know, our election seasons don't really end anymore. Uh, it feels like we're in kind of that perpetual campaign cycle where we maybe get, you know, the Christmas, you know, November, December off every year. There's less kind of up and down uh, in the market than there used to be. And like Paul has has mentioned to me, there was $14 billion spent in the 2020 election season. What people think is a really small market is actually quite large. Being able to, you know, find your your place in that market, you know, there's a lot more kind of flexibility in that now. How do you treat that question of integration? Because you are very likely to be one of the tools that's being used by a campaign or a party or whoever you're working for. Do you try to think of it as like you're the primary tool and other people can pass you data, which often is what everybody envisions themselves to be? Or can you be happy sometimes being like a subordinate tech that is what makes most sense to use for part of the campaign, but passes data to some, I don't know, CRM or other central tool? Or how do you think about that question? And what are you doing now? Yeah, so we do just see ourselves as a part of kind of that greater campaign tech ecosystem. It really depends on the style of campaign somebody's running. If they're running a more digital first campaign, but also want to canvas on the side, we're obviously not the main piece of their infrastructure. Um, but we do have APIs with kind of these main CRMs so that if folks are using them, they need to, you know, make email lists over here or, you know, do targeting in a different app. We do, you know, pass our data back and forth so that they have the flexibility. We want these campaigns, these organizations to be successful. And we might, you know, not be their main piece of tech. They also might come to us uh, wanting to run a specific program that we're just not the best fit for. And we are going to tell them that. We don't want somebody to use us just to use us. We want them to be successful in it. Um, and so we kind of think of ourselves in a lot of ways as thought partners with these folks. We don't just say, here's a piece of tech, hope you're successful. And we try to be as hands-on as we can um, so that they get the most out of their program. That's how we kind of see ourselves fitting in. One of the ways that sort of more insurgent software applications, newer software applications set themselves apart is by having better user interfaces than the stuff that's been around for a while, but has had to make ugly compromises with a lot of history that, that, you know, you've seen, I'm sure out there. How do you think about building a good user interface and what have you guys done to try to make yours good? Yeah. Um, so we kind of take kind of a two-pronged approach to it. Um, Ari and I have both lived both sides, right? We've we've been on the front end as users. We've been on the admin side um, where we're up till midnight trying to make sure we get things in before the sink, um, you know, cutting turf all night. And so we really came to it with the approach of we want to get, you know, the organizer in our past, current organizers to bed on time. We want to cut down administrative time for them. 
We also want to make a front end product that works for every span of person who may come to you as a volunteer to Canvas or phone bank. You know, in many instances, that your real super vol that you have on your campaign may be, you know, a 70 year old, you know, grandma or grandpa. We want to make it useful for them as well as, you know, the 19 year old who, who's coming in saying, I want to go Canvas as well. Um, and so we tried to create a product that kind of off the shelf, somebody can log in and use very easily, you know, maybe take five minutes to train them on. And so that you don't kind of lose that volunteer in the, it's going to take me an hour to train you and it's clunky and you don't really have a great user experience. Um, and maybe they're not going to come back and volunteer for your campaign. So we really wanted to, you know, create a piece of software on that front end that works for everybody, um, that works across all devices and that people do not have trouble implementing and training their folks on. Um, on the admin side, we wanted to try and cut down and automate as much of the work as possible so that your field director or your data director doesn't have to spend all of their time on just administration, but they can actually spend their time on places that truly matter out in the field, you know, with their people um, and trying to run the best program they can. And so we built um, an auto turf cutter that we think works really well, um, that we've kind of tested in rural areas and in, you know, metropolitan areas that really cuts down multiple hours, right? So we cut the entire state of Georgia in two and a half hours, as opposed to the, you know, 200 plus hours it may take to manually cut all of that turf. Uh, so that their field directors did not have to spend all of that time doing that. Um, so we really take the front-end user and the back-end user as kind of two different customer bases. Um, and how do we make them work for both? I think those are all very good aspirations and they make a lot of sense. And I think I'm sure that having that intention and having a small enterprise, you get closer to it. But how about process? Because a lot of times, like I've designed software and what I think is easy might not be what someone else thinks is easy. Do you have anything that that you have in place to make sure you're getting it right? Yeah, so we actually do a lot of, and we did this in the beginning, and then we still continue to do that when we're thinking of enhancements or new products or features that we might be building, is that we do a lot of listening sessions. So we go to organizations that maybe not be our customers, but uh, maybe friends that we have in these organizations and we show them our designs and we walk them through protos and show them, this is what we're thinking. Does this make sense to you? Um, and so we take in a lot of feedback from you know the ecosystem and from the movement to really make sure that we're building something that works for them and not just something that we think would work for them. Uh, because of our experience in the field, we kind of have a lot of that in-house, but we do make sure that we reach out to different groups you know, we, we get on the phone with HDL and to get their feedback on certain things just because we know they have the experience in seeing multiple products and multiple kind of iterations that people are thinking. Um, and so we are really intentional about making sure we're good partners in the space and not just this is what we're building, you know, trying to shove it out into the world and say, hey, make this make sense for you. Um, we're trying to kind of do the opposite of that and, and get the feedback first and kind of while we're in process of building. You, you mentioned that when you and Ari came up with this idea and, or, you know, joined together to do it, that, that you had missed the big project that you had built together. How has it turned out? Like, has it been better than you expected to work on this thing together? You now have 
a, you know, an ongoing project and an organism that is the company that you're trying to build. How is that as a fit for you? It's been amazing. I don't think that I take the time to really sit back and kind of look at it in that way as often as maybe I should. Um, But when you think about kind of the progress that we've made, where we really just sat down and we're like, let's build this product. I think at the time, the intention of let's start a tech company, we're really going to do this. It was how do we solve this problem that we had been having? I think the first, you know, six months where we were really just kind of working on idea and building out, you know, pitch decks and and trying to figure out what our path would be. We definitely, I don't think, could envision where we were sitting right now. The reality of it really started once HGL said, yes, we want you in our cohort. And from that point on, it has been kind of nonstop, you know, build this product, uh, figure out how to run a business. You know, I wouldn't trade any of that for the world. It has been um, kind of exactly what I think we both needed because it is ongoing because you're always, you know, trying to find that next customer, trying to find that next, you know, feature that you can build or, you know, refinements to what you already have. You're still always in that kind of project mode. Um, And so I think that for both of us, it has been incredibly rewarding. Um, And I exactly, I think what we were both looking for without, you know, really knowing all that it entailed. Where would you love it to be in three years or five years? The way that I look at it right now is what we currently have making it the best product that it can be and really just a natural part of the ecosystem for folks. And when they think of, you know, I want to go out and and canvas and find out what's going on in my community and really build relationships with folks that they think about open field. What is important to us is building that community and, and having communities be able to build their own power. And we don't look at it just as if you're a registered voter, you're important to me and I want to talk to you. But can I talk to everybody in my community? Can I find out what is going on everywhere and organize around specific issues? Giving those communities the ability to do that with open field and having that kind of just be top of mind for them is where I would like to be. I've seen that a lot of companies in this space either end up, well, actually mostly end up competing for the big campaigns that can pay real dollars or people like Working Family Party, that's enough of an institution to have a budget to to really have a relationship with you. And it's harder, I think, to fit your company into the long tail of the market, the small campaigns that honestly don't want to spend any money and may not even have any money to spend, but there's a whole ton of them. Are you aiming at one or the other, or are you finding the market sending you in one way? Because in a certain way, it's a different product for a Senate race or a congressional race than it is for a, a city council person in a small town. Yeah. So um, like I said earlier, we thought that we would be kind of the, the market fit for these smaller customers um, who maybe don't have other options because, you know, some of the tech uh, is very expensive. Sourcing voter files is expensive um, and if you even go to just want to get your own raw voter file from from the local jurisdiction, as someone who has built one from scratch, they are not always perfect. You do have to do uh, some work to kind of get those into a place where you can use them. 
that's where we thought we were originally. And these larger organizations like, you know, the Working Families Party, just issue-based organizations, we do fit really well with the program that they are running. But these smaller campaigns do come to us. Um, and we find that because we have built ourselves for, you know, these larger organizations, we do still really fit well with these smaller campaigns because they can get up and running really quickly um, because we don't care where our data comes from um, or the type of data. You know, people bring us email lists, membership lists, uh, you know, traditional voter files. We also have folks that just do blind knocking where we just bring in an address file and they say, I want to go knock every single door that's in my neighborhood. And so we have run everything from, you know, school board races to small city mayorals, you know, small issue campaigns, all the way up to this larger kind of national party infrastructure. Well, I'm really interested to see how things go, you know, into the future for you. Is there a question that I didn't ask you that I should have? Uh, I don't think so. Sounds kind of like we've covered covered it all, um, but we're really excited about what the rest of the year is bringing us, um, and kind of looking forward to to going into twenty twenty two. Yeah, well, big and important election coming up as always, but maybe maybe more than most. Emily, thanks for taking the time. Anything else you want yeah. to say? No, that is it. Um, I guess if you do want to get in contact with us, um, our website is openfield.ai, um, and my email is just emily at openfield.ai. Perfect. That was Emily Del Baccaro. Emily is at openfield.ai. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.